You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust, committed to conservation. So, welcome to Campfire Conversations, a special episode. We, uh, we've had some remote guests in the past um, from, from all over. Mark, I guess I didn't even ask you, where, where are you located? What's your 20 right now? I am in southern Michigan. So we're talking to southern Michigan right now. Mm-hmm. And the voice you heard there, obviously it's me and Sam, but the voice you hear there is the voice of Mark Kenyon. Mark is, uh, if you're not familiar with Mark, he is a author, um, host of a podcast, um, guest on many other podcasts as mm-hmm. far as that goes. Yeah. Um, Mark, His podcast, Wired to Hunt. Yeah, Wired to Hunt. Number is, one whitetail podcast, yeah, is that number, right, Mark? Yeah, it's number one, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, number one whitetail hunting podcast right now. Um, but Mark has been a, uh, he's one of the folks who's been a voice for conservation. And uh, we were thrilled whenever uh, we heard he was coming out with a book and was interested in talking to us about it. And actually, kind of special it's the first time mark i've ever had sam and i have ever gotten a copy of a book before it was available for purchase so i I may have to mail it back to you and get you to sign it just so i can put it with my i'm a book guy so it'd be it'd be sweet to go in my collection hopefully that wouldn't make you feel weird but nope i'd be happy to do it yeah that'd be cool so yeah we got the we got the limited the hot take right off the press yeah uh, first one's out yeah, it, it was great. So, uh, Mark, uh, tell our listeners, you know, give them, you know, you don't have to give them your life story if you don't want to, but give them, tell them what you want them to know, and uh, <laughs> let's let's get into it. All right. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll try not to go through the whole life story, but the the short and cliff notes version of it is, I'm a lifelong outdoorsman. I grew up loving to hunt and fish and hike and camp and all that good stuff, and after college. I went into the business world, but realized very quickly that I could not, um, I couldn't imagine a life in which I couldn't pursue my passions daily, or at least talk about them and, and try to make a difference within those worlds. So that led me to starting a website called Wired to Hunt, which was focused on deer hunting, which was probably my, probably still fair to say, my number one passion of all the things I love to do. So for a number of years, built this website uh, talking about deer hunting strategy, deer hunting news, deer hunting stories, so on and so forth. Eventually started writing for all the major hunting magazines. Uh, And then in 2013, I quit my regular day job and went full-time as an outdoor writer and started the Wiretime podcast, started podcasting weekly, um, and so became, you know... uh, basically uh, a member of the outdoor media talking about hunting and the outdoors and conservation writing about it uh, doing some videos and then uh, about a couple of years ago merged wired to hunt into uh, a company called meat eater which was a company founded by steve ranella a friend of mine um, so that we could do some bigger more impactful things with wired to hunt so now that's what i do i run wired to hunt i run the podcast and i also wrote a book which is called that wild country which explores another part of my passion for the outdoors which is public land and everything we can do in these places whether that's hunt and fish or camp and climb and raft and backpack all that kind of stuff um so at a super high level that's who i am and what i do man that was a pretty pretty thorough introduction you sound man. like you've done this before, yeah sound man. like you've had some practice <laughs> uh, we uh yeah i guess i guess i have and I think we align in a lot of ways because here at the Land Trust, like you said, like this podcast, Cody and I, we grew up hunting and fishing, and I would say that's our primary passion. But um, here at the Land Trust, we're all about all recreational outdoor users. Um, so we have events for hunters, for hikers, for fishermen, paddlers. And we really try to touch everything and everybody, and um, that's what our our advocacy for public land is all about as well. So it's good to just uh, know that we're on the same on the same page for sure. Yeah, we're, you know, it's, it's, you actually in your book, jumping way ahead, but in your book, you coined the, I don't know if you coined the phrase or I, I'd never heard it before either way. So I liked it. The Cabela's crowd and the REI crowd. Yeah. Cause I, that, that made, I understood exactly what you were talking about. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah that we're we're all about both sides mm-hmm. um yes and uh it doesn't good things won't happen without both sides so uh, i 100 percent agree and definitely a big goal and i'm skipping ahead probably but a, a big goal of this book for me was to try to help bring those groups together and try to um, showcase the fact that we're already starting to do that, but if we want to be able to keep wild places around, wild animals around into the future, we're going to have to increasingly find ways to set aside our differences and, and focus on the things we can we can do together for the common good. So that is something I'm very passionate about. I think I'm going to hit you. Yeah, I'm going to hit you with a question right off the bat. Um, Let's do it. There's one thing about this book that I like and that we both really liked is. Not only do you get to hear your voice, but there's a lot of snippets and pieces from writers, conservationists, and big thinkers um, throughout history, and especially the history of conservation. So I wanted to ask you, what book, if you had to recommend one book that's by one of these conservationists, one of these big thinkers that you would suggest to the listeners right now to be your, your jumping off point or the one that you like the most to read, which one would it be? Besides yours, yeah, obviously. Mm, yeah. Um, there's a lot of good books out there. I'm going to recommend one that's pretty cliche because everybody recommends it, but it's just so so powerful, and that is Sand County Almanac by <laughs> Aldo Leopold. I don't think you can – that's just got to be a starting point for everybody. He was someone who I wrote about in the book um, and which I thought was – Interesting to me, one I knew a lot about Aldo Leopold from over the past few years, examining his impacts about just defining this idea of the land ethic, and a lot of people cite him in the private land conservation world, actually, but what I didn't know until I started researching this book was that not only was he incredibly influential when it came to you know conserving and protecting and managing private land, also managing game animals, all animals, but... Uh, in his younger years, he worked for the National Forest Service and became one of the most outspoken and influential people when it came to this concept of wilderness. So not only I mean, he kind of had his fingerprints on every different type of conservation work you could imagine. He went from everything from saying, hey, there's some places that we should leave untouched, where humans should just be visitors, that we should leave in as untrammeled of a state as possible. But then he also advocated for the idea that there are other places, though, where we need human management, where we can be stewards and we can improve the land and we can help form a better connection and community with the animals and the soil and the plants and the trees. And so he really had this holistic approach to how we can engage with the natural world. And so his book, A Sand County Almanac, really touches on all of that in a beautiful way. Um, He covers both some simple stories of his own experiences on his on his own farm in Wisconsin, and then he dives into some of his stories from his youth, from his earlier years when he was working for the Forest Service out in some of his wild places in Arizona and New Mexico. And finally, he wraps it up with a, what he calls the upshot, where he basically talks through some of these high-level concepts, kind of foundational concepts now within the conservation movement um, around what does it mean to have a conservation aesthetic? What does it mean to have a land ethic? Uh, what does wilderness provide us and why should we care about it? Um, really, again, founding the um, kind of these, ah, what's the right word here? I don't know. I keep going back to foundation, but it kind of is the foundation for what so many people are still trying to do today. Oh, yeah. So yeah. He definitely, he definitely laid out the fundamentals. For and sure. the reason the reason I laughed uh, when you said Sand County Almanac is when we were kind of discussing some questions and stuff, kind of preparing for you to come on. Um, I brought up that question, and we both said, well, he's definitely going to say Sand County Almanac. Uh, <laughs> yep, yep. And, and the reason it's I asked – Yeah, and the reason I asked that question is I think – which is, uh, I guess, a tribute and, and a good thing for you to hear as a writer, but there's so many parallels that I saw with your book and my own personal experiences, and um, one of those being that – you talked about going to Utah and and reading Desert Solitaire by Ed Abbey, which I, a year ago, went to Utah and was reading Desert Solitaire while I was there. Um, and that's yeah. just another one that's, you know, and it's, you know, the books that you're reading, 
I think can also tie into the landscape that you're in. Because, I mean, that's the perfect place when you're in Arches to be reading Desert Solitaire. And yes. then you could be somewhere in Wisconsin reading, you know, um, San County Almanac. So um, there's so many yeah, good ones out there. That. Yeah. Uh, and, and I do love Desert Solitaire. Mm-hmm. I love that Abbey. Um, but he's a very different kind of figure. Man, he is <laughs> cranky, um, isn't he? God almighty. Yes, he is. And, and what I love about Ed Abbey and about his work and his writings is it is full and just filled to the brim with passion. I mean, you can just see smoke coming out of his ears and fire in his eyeballs when you read. And sometimes that's what you want. Sometimes that's what you need when it comes to standing up for wild places and wild animals. Uh, for those of us who care about these things, um, as much as I hate to say it, we've got a, there are a lot of forces out there chipping away at the last remaining open spaces we have and and uh, the ability to experience these things so sometimes you gotta be someone who talks about coming together you gotta compromise you have to put aside differences and you have to come together to work towards these things and i'm a huge advocate for that we talked about that a little while ago um but at the same time sometimes there's a time and a place for some righteous fury (laughs) and and, uh, (laughs) a little bit of you know what i gotta you gotta put your foot down and say enough's enough and ed abby was definitely in that latter camp he was often the guy who said enough is enough this is bs and we got to do something about it and so he 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 probably pisses some people off and his his work now is certainly a little bit polarizing but at the same time it is it is some of the most beautiful compelling um writing when it comes to why these places are so special and why we have to do something to keep them around um so i'm gonna tell you very different but both pretty great i'm gonna tell you one other parallel um when i and when i got hooked on the book was right away uh chapter one is talking about Yellowstone. Let, let me tell you, when he says hooked on the book, he's like, are you serious? That's yeah, the first oh, thing I he said. It. So I couldn't here's believe why. it. Here's so why. I just got back from uh, Montana and Wyoming. I was fly fishing out there. Um, and I went, and it was a 10-day trip, and I set up one of those aspects of that was going to Yellowstone. So immediately, you know, right off the bat, you start talking about Yellowstone going fly fishing. Well, when I went into Yellowstone, I got a backcountry permit from the same office that you did for <laughs> Slough Creek Campsite 6. No um, way. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly so what he said. <laughs> I, was, I, uh, I went to the same exact fishing hole that you did, and I'm going cool. to pick on you a little bit. Uh-oh. That was one of the best days of fishing. I know you had the tough weather and everything. <laughs> you, need, you need to go back, man, because I'm going to tell you what, I smashed them. <laughs> uh, I'm glad someone did. We had a tough that day. Uh, we, uh, I got I got my redemption the next night. So yeah, 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 sure. yeah, you did. We sure did. <laughs> yeah, they were they were. Um, me and two buddies went. You ever? We got a triple where we all three hooked up at the same time and landed landed fish at the same time and got a selfie triple picture. But That's they were awesome. they were all rising on. Uh, just size 16 and 18 dry flies sight fishing the whole way it's just i oh don't let don't let that one trip sway you go back um but <laughs> oh, the other thing will. It's an amazing place the other thing about that trip and about that chapter that just blew me away um in terms of the parallels was you know we went on the same path went to the same spot and then that was my first time that i ever heard a wolf howl um in the wild yeah. which was the same for you and i saw four wolf pups um yeah, off the trail awesome. so it was just wow. uh, I, right off the bat, I couldn't believe it, and I felt so connected to the book. And um, yeah, and just, that, the the part where you were laying in the tent and you heard the wolf howl, and you're like, "Well, did that actually just happen?" Right. Man, you described that perfectly because I've had the same experience where I was like, "Did I really? Did that really just happen? Yeah. Or did I just, did I want it to happen so bad that yeah. I just made it happen yeah. in my head?" <laughs> Isn't that funny how that can be? Yeah, yeah, you were you were spot on with that. Spot on. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty cool thing, and it, it was what's interesting is that. So that was the one time I'd heard I heard a single wolf howl, and it was that moment where, where just like you said, I almost wanted to. Did I actually hear that? Um, so that happened. Gosh, I don't know, that was two or three years ago now. Um, and now, just this past fall, I went on a backcountry canoeing and hunting trip up in the boundary waters of uh, Minnesota, and that's just an unbelievable wilderness area up there. And I got to hear wolves the second time, uh, but this time it was an entire pack of them. 
and it was no questions asked. You knew exactly what you're hearing, and it kept going and going. And that was an equally powerful and just uh, jaw dropping experience to have the the opposite sensation, which is wow. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt that I'm in the middle of a very wild thing mm-hmm. um, here in that chorus of howls right across the lake. Um, so, so wolves are another interesting thing. They're terribly polarizing. They can some people hate them, some people love sure. them. But I, I think it's hard to deny that they are a powerful um, symbol of the wild. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. And that's that's something that definitely resonates with me. I know, you know, a rancher in Montana might disagree, but they're almost, you know, a little bit religious. Like they kind of represent the wild a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, they do. At least oftentimes, a lot of a lot of guys out there, a lot of ranchers you talk to, begrudgingly still say the same thing. They might not want them chasing their cows. They might shoot a lot of them if they can. But at the same time, they probably will say, "But that was actually pretty cool when I heard them all last night." Right. Uh, I agree. Even yeah, around here, kind of the same with coyotes, man. You know. <laughs> yeah. You know. You might hate them, but you know, when you hear that chorus going off, there is uh, still something pretty cool about it. Yeah, you, you stop and listen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No doubt. That's exactly. Definitely take note. Um, so yeah, he was talking about all the parallels. Um, it's funny. Your uh, your lab and my son share the same name. So obviously we've got the same heroes. Um, Hold on, my my your son and my son or my your son and my dog. Your dog. Your dog. Okay. Your your black lab and and my and my little boy have the same name. Nice, Boone. <laughs> yep, like yep, Boone. Yep, I named my little boy Boone. So I thought that That's was great. That was pretty good. But uh, I was, I don't know, just trying to go through the book in order as best we can and and talk about it without giving too much. Without away. giving, I don't want to. I don't want it to be like the Cliff Notes where people could just you know right. listen to this and and get everything. But um, man, you went on a you went on a shed hunt on public land. Yeah. 22 sheds in one day? Is that That's what it was, wasn't it? 21 or 22? That, that's something like that, yeah, right in that ballpark, yeah. Um, public land in one day. Yeah. Uh, is, that, is that common for you? Is that Does that happen a lot? <laughs> no, no, not common at all. I've shed hunted a lot of great private land in Iowa and everything like that. And I, I don't have, like, a Mark Drury kind of farm that I've ever been able to walk. But I've been able to walk some good stuff and, you know, for a lot of years, I, most I'd ever found a day was five or six or seven or something like that, and those are great days. But, yeah, we we did a trip to North Dakota and Montana uh, shed hunting and exploring some public land out there because the basic gist of the book at a high level was I wanted to learn about the history of our public lands and what's going on right now. And so I was researching and reading and studying all these historical topics, but then I also wanted to go and physically experience these places um, kind of ground myself in the history and so North Dakota was a place I had to go spend some time in especially the western side because that's where Theodore Roosevelt this another incredibly impactful character within the history of public lands that's where he first went out and experienced kind of big wild places he headed out there for a buffalo hunt in his 20s and absolutely fell in love with it ended up buying a ranch ended up starting to live out there for periods of time ranching hunting writing exploring and so that was kind of the catalyst for him then going on to be such a huge figure in the creation of a conservation ethic in america and then as president going on to protect some places so so yeah we went out to this area where he had his ranch house where he spent all this time and we looked for deer antlers and so we found a handful there in north dakota but then went over the border into montana to another stretch of public land um and then that's where we hit the honey hole we found some spots that are kind of tougher to get to pieces of uh, blm land and we just kind of fell into that perfect combination when it comes to finding deer antlers where there was some great food there were some alfalfa fields and stuff on some public and some neighboring private land, and then a bunch of great bedding cover on the backside of a river, and we were able to borrow a canoe from a landowner and got across there. And it was it was like an Easter egg hunt, but I was an adult and uh, equally as excited to run around like a kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I ain't going to say anything about that canoe, but we ain't going to loan you any canoes anytime soon, man. <laughs> 
I'm so I'm so glad that happened and you put it in the book. That, that and that's was. one that's one thing that um that we like about you know your your podcast and about your book and about um you've got a series called Back Forty, um, mm-hmm. which is about you getting a piece of property and managing it, um, and then just kind of. It's about private lands conservation, which is definitely yep. important too, and something that we're, uh, we're yeah, and about something we're going to talk about yeah. here in a little bit. But I don't want to get too far ahead. One thing about you is you're you've got a great ability to be self-deprecating, um, and it shows through in the book, and that's that's an admi- yeah. admirable quality and one that's it's fun to read, man. And um, we've yeah. all been there, Cody and I. Oh yeah. This past year, I about sunk a. About well, we, we sank a boat. Yeah, yeah so, uh, <laughs> so boats boats were sank. That's really yeah. That's, yeah. It's definitely relatable. There's no doubt. It happens. Yeah. It happens. I've always figured like uh, I'm not going to be able to blow anyone away with my stories of my prowess or my expertise <laughs> or <laughs> my big muscles or anything like that. But uh, but I can I can at least share the reality of what happens and maybe bring a little joy or laughter somewhere along the way. So I've, I've always tried to do that, and uh, it seems to have seems to have served me well i guess so yeah, i'm glad you guys enjoyed that story yeah we it was I'll, tough in the moment but i can laugh about now i almost wanted like you kind of left me wanting more of those stories in the book like i was just like you know every time you'd tell a story it was like the brutally honest here's what actually happened and it was yeah. it was bad <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, i could write a, a ba- we i think we all could write a book about all of our stupid stuff we've done yeah, um, yeah, it so. was, yeah it was, that's that's the thing is like so much of what you see in books or outdoor tv or magazine stuff it's just all about these people who are just perfect they yeah get i the know big buck yeah. or they have this they climb the mountain or they travel across antarctica and they do it so easily and so well and uh, man, and then and then the rest of us sit here reading it or watching on TV and saying, "Geez, how do they make it look so easy? How come I'm such a bumbling idiot when I try these things?" <laughs> yeah, that's um, so true. So I think maybe there's something to be said about <laughs> showing the reality of how it really goes, and I think that I've always enjoyed that kind of thing. I've, I'd rather read that kind of story, oftentimes, than um, you know, the guy or girl who somehow is like a superhero, a Marvel I agree. character. Couldn't yeah. agree. So, yeah, that that was you took the word right out of my mouth. That's that's. I agree 100. percent It made it made you human and relatable, and and it was it's, it was good. It was good to get that in the book, man. Thank uh, you. Glad you enjoyed that. We uh, you, I guess the best way to preface what I want to say is to say that for someone not that this is not their career. So someone that's not in conservation as a career, it's more or less a pastime or a byproduct of things they like to do such as hiking hunting fishing whatever um conservation is something they know about but you know may not fully understand it this is a your book's a pretty good jumping off point to get like a 101 on the history of what happened why america has a conservation ethic what that conservation ethic is and whose idea it was to begin with like yeah. it's a like I felt like when I especially during a few chapters of it I felt like I was sitting back in class at you know in college in uh, you know wildlife management 101 and listen to my professor you know talk and I'm trying to remember the dates for the quiz kind of deal because you know even then it was great to go back and read it now because then I was you know I was trying to remember the freaking dates for the quiz so I didn't fail um but to go back and read it as a book and an entertaining story and be like, you know, yeah, I remember all that, but I had kind of just stuck it on the back shelf and not really thought about, you know, the hardships it took those individuals to get there. This book is a good way for folks to understand conservation and why it's important and how it got started and who, who's responsible. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you think that. I mean, that was definitely, I alluded earlier, and I can't remember if we were talking about this before we started recording or when we started recording, but um, I had a couple goals with writing this book, and, and one of them was this idea of, of trying to bring people together, whether you're in the REI crowd or the Cabela's crowd, uh, whether you hunt or you climb, or whether you're Republican or Democrat, I wanted to bring people together and hopefully showcase the fact that these places are really important for all of us, and we need to set aside some of our differences and work together, so that was one thing. But to what you just said, a second goal was I wanted to make this history and information accessible to the average person. There's a lot of books out there 
that cover the history of public lands or that cover wildlife management or the history of conservation in America. They cover that stuff, but they are dense textbooks. Mm -hmm. They are the kind of books that your average person is not ever going to pick up and read and learn. So I wanted to try to write something that was entertaining, easy to read, and, and engaging enough that you could get through and actually read about this important information in history, um, but almost barely know you were doing that. Hopefully you'd come out of it and you thought you just read a really interesting story, but along the way, I threw some vegetables in there that uh, they were healthy for you in the long term. Yeah. And um, that was my goal, that I was hoping it would be a great starting point for people and, and hopefully inspire them or intrigue them to to learn more if some of the stuff was of interest to them. Um, so I'm glad to hear you thought that was the case, and, and that was really what I really want out of this. If, if I got some people to come away from this with a, wow, I didn't know that, that's great to know, and now I care more about these places, or now I realize that I can do something to help, or now I understand why this is the way it is. Um, that, that'd be a great win for me. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think you're going to accomplish that. And I, I, think I definitely it, do. I think it kind of parallels our podcast model, uh, both of ours, where you know there's that scattered BS and silly stories and stuff like that with a healthy dose. Like you said, the vegetables, I like that analogy of you know conservation talk where you can hear, listen, and have fun, but you can also you know maybe learn a little something along the way. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, I always talk, uh, my buddy Steve, I, I keep attributing this to him, um, but then he once told me he never said it, so I might be wrong <laughs> on that, but, but, but uh, what he, he said, I think he said to me that if you want someone to eat their vegetables, you got to give them a lot of candy along the way, and so I've tried to take that approach with writing, with my podcast, all those kinds of things, Try to, you got to make story you got to have it entertaining you got to make it enjoyable if you want someone to to engage with the tough stuff every once in a while or engage with the information every once in a while or a call to action every once in a while so so i think hopefully you know this is one of those books that does that and there really aren't i mean i've scoured the 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 libraries and the internet and the bookstores of the world trying to find books about these topics so that I could personally learn about them. And there really isn't anything quite like this book as far as exploring this history and information while also telling um, an adventure story of sorts. So, knock on wood, I'm hoping that will uh, be interesting and helpful for people. I think, uh, I, I, agree. I believe you 100% when you say you have scoured the bookstores of the world looking for literature on this because this book shows how well read you were in researching it i mean just to pull there were quotes in there from those guys that i'd never seen even going through school and getting a degree in it and i was just like yeah and i, I think you made a really good point which is you know we we read it and we enjoyed it but that's also it's these are a lot of quotes that we've read and had to read and, and because we're in this field but I think we kind of take that for granted because there's a lot of people who may, you know, they have their own career and they're reading the books within those careers and learning and bettering themselves there. And this might be new stuff to them. And um, I think it's a really refreshing way to put it. So, yeah, well done. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was extremely well researched, um, to say the least. You actually, you actually used one of my very favorite quotes from Aldo Leopold. You know, I know we we always cite Aldo so much, but man. He, you said in the book, you, you put it in there, just the first little monologue of the whole paragraph, of one of the penalties of an ecological education is that one lives in a world of wounds. That is, that is yeah. my very favorite Aldo Leopold quote, always has been. Yeah. And I was, I was so glad to see you put that in the book because, you know, that's how I feel. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of times, like I'm angry, but I can't tell my buddies why because they're investment bankers or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it opens your eyes. It was that's the one downside of learning about these things and tapping into what's going on in the world of conservation or the natural world is that unfortunately there's a lot of bad news out there. There's um, very not, I'm not saying this is the rule. There are certainly exceptions, and there's a lot of good people doing good work to try to protect places and, and keep wild spaces and wild animals around. But there's a lot of other trends out there that uh, that can be a little bit depressing once you start paying attention to this stuff so so yeah he was very uh 
Oh, I don't know. His foresight was incredible. That that is is so much more so the case today. And I actually read. I was reading another book here just recently that uh, had a similar line, um, a little bit different. But uh, in this book, this author was talking about the same issue. You know, talking about um, how do you how do you live in this world where you can see wildness slipping away, and you're you're seeing this uh, trend and it's concerning, it's worrisome. And, and he said, I found all the questions without answers frightening, but not as frightening as all the people not asking them. Mm. And that one kind of stopped me. I was like, man, that's, that's, that's so true too. Like so many people don't even worry or care or, or give a damn about any of this stuff. And that's just as concerning yeah. as anything and just as uh, saddening as anything. It's so, like living in a bubble. Yeah. Yeah, and we all—I mean—we're all guilty of it in our own. We all have our own little bubbles. Um, we, you, the three of us, we live in a bubble. We do hear a lot about what's going on with the natural world, and then there's other people who live in these bubbles where they sure know a lot more than I do about investment banking or <laughs> marketing or whatever. And we all kind of live in that thing. Um, there's so much going on in the world today. There's no way we could all know it all and be experts and everything. Yeah. But man. I hope that in some small way the stuff that you guys are doing and the stuff that I'm doing and stuff that a lot of the folks are doing can help at least poke a little hole in those bubbles every once in a while and say, hey, wild places matter. Hey, these critters matter. Hey, clean air and clean water and a little bit of open space can can really do some good things for you. Um, so I think that's kind of our jobs here today is to try to do that every once in a while because if we don't, you know, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, we're all going to be living in a virtual reality city without any real animals or wild places or experiences to be had and that's a kind of grim future to consider <laughs> yeah, it's for, not the, for it's not the future our world live in i think that's a good tie-in pretty awful yeah I'll uh, get, yeah go if you got the question go ahead and ask it if you want to well i mean i think one thing that's t- speaking to that dichotomy is, you know, we're talking about wild places um, through this show right now, through um, your book, through your YouTube series, through all these different social media outlets. Um, and it's kind of an interesting space to be in where um, it's kind of like an indictment of that social media that we're using to promote the wild land. So what do you, uh, what are your thoughts on that and where do you kind of fit into that and how do you use it? Yeah, and I guess just to add to that, tips and things because as a land trust you know we're we're fairly small staffed huh we've just hired a couple folks how many how many we got eight people on staff now so i don't even know mark i mean that's that's where we're at i don't even know how many people are growing so much from six to eight it's hard to keep track of all the people around here yes we've got a we've got a staff of eight and on the grand scale of things in the world it's not that big of a deal because we're only covering 15 counties in north carolina but to those 15 counties in north carolina we're a lifeline um, as far as conservation goes because we're the, we're the only game in town. And uh, we struggle to find a balance of you know doing the work in the field and the ways to get the word out about conservation and private lands conservation and public land conservation and this social media thing that I feel like is still relatively new. And I, I'm the worst person to talk about this because I've never – I've never ever once used social media. Like I don't even know how, so I'm I'm not good at it. Sam's probably the better person to talk about it. But to add to his question, just like advice on, you know, how to get the word out better, because you know you guys are are obviously pros at at social media. So, three things. Number one, don't ever sell yourself short on work being done on the local scale because what you're doing in those 15 counties is is the only way to really make a difference the only way we're ever going to do a real thing here is to work in our own little neck of the woods or in our own little way whether that be working at a small local project or whether that be other individuals spreading the word with their 15 instagram followers or a grandma who walks down the road and knocks on the door of a neighbor and says hey um here's an issue you might want to consider or another person who writes a letter it's really easy for folks and for me sometimes too to feel apathetic to feel like ah what can i do this thing seems so much bigger than me um but if there's any 
thing I learned through trying to understand the history of these places, how we protected so many wild places across the country. What it came down to was individual people, not superheroes, not mythical figures, but just human beings, normal, flawed, self-doubting, mistake-ridden, normal people who said, you know what, I'm going to try to do something. I'm going to do whatever is within my capabilities and within my platform and power to do something. Sometimes those people had a lot of uh, resources at their hands, like Theodore Roosevelt. Sometimes this is just an average guy that lived down the road that said, you know what, someone's got to stand up and say something. And then he or she did. Um, So for everyone out there listening, I would just say that is what makes big things happen, is a lot of people doing whatever they can. Um, Now to the larger question that was originally asked, which was this dichotomy of speaking out in support of trying to protect wild places and public land and the environment, but using technology and using business or whatever to promote that message. It is an interesting paradox because, and I might be taking this question somewhere differently than where you intended. Um, oh, I didn't intend anything, man. No, so far, yeah. uh, everything's perfect. But what I, what I say is that it is it, someone can make the argument that Mark is sitting here today and he wrote this book and he's telling us all to protect the environment and stand up for public lands and care about wild animals. He's saying all that and he's saying, hey, we have to be careful with resource abstraction. We have to be careful with these things and moderate, blah, 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 blah. He's going to say all that. But then look what Mark did. He drove around the country pulling a camper and used a bunch of fossil fuels. He sits on his computer and on Instagram and he's constantly out there sharing things and he's talking about these different places and that makes more people go to them, which then maybe causes them more harm because more people go there. Or they might say that I'm selling books and those books are being printed off of paper that were taken from trees which are then stuck on planes and trucks and driven across the country and doing this thing and that. Right? That is the inherent reality of the situation is that we all make an impact in some way and I can't sit here and try to pretend that I don't make an impact with what I do I can't sit here and say that I don't have some of the blame for things that have happened to the natural world we all do we all have an impact we all we all have a footprint in the sand on this continent and so I don't think that should be used though as a as a reason to not try to make a difference though or to try to help give back in some way I I wrote in the last chapter and this is something I think about a lot just in my daily life is that uh, all this stuff we've been talking about the wilderness wild places animals the environment whatever they've given me so much like I my life has come to revolve around the outdoors it's what I love it's what my family loves it's 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 everything we do and think about and care about revolves around having these places and things um with how much those places have given me I constantly am, am feeling this heavier and heavier weight on my shoulders of how I have to give back to try to even the scales so yeah I did drive around the country to go see these places and yeah I, I burned oil and I burned gas and I um, I contributed to a degree to the need for us to be out there drilling places which maybe I'm going to sit here and say well we shouldn't drill there and so you could say that that's hypocrisy or I could simply tell you that it is a hypocrisy that I understand and so I better be working real hard to try to make up for that by doing some good out there to negate it and so um in all our own way whether it be going out there and killing a deer and taking from the landscape in that way whether it be you know riding your mountain bike down a trail and slashing up the ground whether it be taking fish out of a lake we all take we all make an impact um so the only way i can make sense of that for myself or the only way i can make amends for that at least or kind of even the scales, as I alluded to earlier, in my own mind, is is by just simply keeping on keeping on trying to do something positive to outweigh whatever impact I might have. So when I think about all the business stuff I'm doing, or all the social media I'm doing, or all the technology I use, the podcasting equipment I buy, um, that just gives me more and more incentive to try to 
do something that helps, and, uh, and that's what I'm trying to do here. Wow, that was a you getting into politics, dude? <laughs> no, that was a great, that was a dude. That was a phenomenally well thought out answer. Um, I don't know if you were like pre prepared for that or what, but that was. I uh, swear we didn't talk about that before. That was off the cuff. Yeah, dude. that was. The, yeah, we didn't rehearse that. That was that was great. Um, I think that's something. I think that's something that weighs on everybody for sure. I mean, everybody kind of you think about that, but I mean, I th- yeah, I mean, you're definitely a, a good voice for conservation and. Um, that's all we can try and strive to be. You know? Yeah, and it's almost it's it's almost biblical. Like, you know, you should be a steward of the natural world, and that and that's biblical in that sense. But it's also biblical that you know everything in the natural world is here for your benefit in some way, shape, or form, whether it be just for your viewing pleasure or for you to eat. But yeah. you should steward that and forward it into the future sustainably. And, yeah. and you know that's you know. That's borderline a commandment that a that a conservationist lives by. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. That was a that was a well thought out answer. Um, I hope that you haven't been attacked for printing a book on paper. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, not yet. But you never know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're well prepared for that answer uh, with that answer, but hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, yeah. I think that was a well thought out answer. Honestly, Thanks. it almost stumbled me so much that I don't even know where to go from here. Um. <laughs> Let's, uh, well, I know where to go. I know exactly where to go. So in, in the book, you take this trip, these trips, multiple trips, lots of trips, um, over the span of time and go to, you visit all these public lands and while you're there, you're, you're talking about, you know, how they came to be and, and the things that all came together to make it what it is today and how it's going to be so important to protect these lands and add to them in the future. Um, one of the things you did really well and I think it will bode really well. You being, you know, you know, known for being a, you know, a whitetail guy and a hunter, and being associated with, you know, the meat eater brand, and you know, predominantly a, a hunting brand. I think it was very good that in your book, the majority of your trips were non-consumptive use trips. They were backpacking, you know, catch and release fishing, um, you know, sightseeing, picture taking. Um, I think that was good that you you did that, and then you included a couple of hunts. You included a bear hunt with Randy Newberg, and you included your caribou hunt, you know, in Alaska. I think that was very tactful in how you chose to take those trips. Um, so it will be a very nice way to bridge the gap between a bunch of different types of users. Yeah, and that was definitely intentional in that I I, I mentioned this a second ago that I really one of these goals of the book was to try to help bridge this divide that we sometimes have within the outdoor space where um, you know, I kind of lumped them into these like, these two crowds. You can kind of generalize by saying there's the Cabela, Cabela's crowd, the hunter hunters and anglers, and then there's maybe your REI crowd, your hikers, climbers, kayakers, mountain bikers, etc. Right. And we have a lot in common, but there are also sometimes some significant differences. And it's easy to point out those differences and say oh they're not like me so screw up um but my hope was to try to take the different approach which was hey we care about the same things in a lot of ways we love a lot of the same things in many cases we are the same people i am those two people i love to hunt and fish i also love to camp and backpack and kayak and i I shop at both stores and i'm buddies with some people that are hunters and buddies with some people that aren't i'm buddies with some folks that are climbers and friends with others that aren't um so I, I really wanted this this story, this historical narrative, and the current narrative, to reach that entire swath of people, and and I was hopeful that I would be uniquely well positioned to tell that story to all these different people, because I myself represent all those different people. Okay, that, that, um, that's right. Yep. And and in the book, yeah, I I, I wanted to also um, rep, try to not only make the book readable for all sorts, but then when it came specifically to the hunting side, it's really important to me. Um, it's just kind of part of everything I do. Uh, a mission of mine, I guess, is to be a, a light of positivity for the hunting community, be a positive representative of, of who hunters are and what we do to the, to the larger world. Because unfortunately, there's a whole lot of bad apples out there. There's not a lot of them, but there are a few bad apples out there who get a lot of attention and who paint the hunting community with a really ugly brush. There's a viral video out there right now 
uh, from a couple kids from Pennsylvania that a lot of people are talking about that are a perfect example of this, of, of some people that are doing some horrible things out there that make all hunters and all hunting look ghastly. And it's, it's really unfortunate. It's heartbreaking, really. And so what I want to do with this book and with, with all of my work is try to show to the larger world that hunters are some of the most engaged, caring, thoughtful people when it comes to how we interact with the natural world and animals. And, um, and I wanted to try to convey that through some of my hunting stories and, um, and not do it in a in-your-face kind of way, not turn off folks, but hopefully there will be enough people that read this book that weren't hunters that by the time they get done with it, they might say, man, I can kind of get where Mark was coming from. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's, you know, okay, I get why my neighbor does this. Maybe I'll take him up on that invitation to go with him someday. Um, one of the one of the best, um, I don't know what it was, but an encouraging thing that happened uh, was, interestingly, the producer for the audiobook for this book, right? I, had to, I narrated this book, and so was, when, you, when you narrate an audiobook, go into a studio and there's a person who's the producer and this lady basically was there to make sure that I wasn't sounding like an idiot or that I was talking at the right speed or that I was doing things the right way and partway through the book she tells me she's an Mm anti-hunter I'm like oh wow (laughs) this makes things awkward um but she said but she's like but but the way you talk about it in this book the way you described it the way what I feel from now having heard you read it and, and read the book herself, she said, I am not anti that. And that was encouraging to me. And that opened her eyes a little bit to realize that the, the story she sees once a year on CNN about some person with a, with a bad picture or something, now maybe she has a better idea of, like, that's not what it's all about. That's not the reality for 99% of hunters out there. And if someone who already had such a polarized view on it could come around and say, you know what, I'm okay with that, or I'm interested in learning more about the way this is, um, man, if somehow that could reach a few more people with the same kind of impact, wow, that would be that would be another really exciting thing for me to hear about. I agree. Yeah, the, the book does a very good job of, of painting that, that picture. And, you know, hunters, it only takes, like you said, it only takes one one bad apple and that's where all the attention gets focused and yeah. and and hunters as a group we try to regulate ourselves through you know we're we're hunter education instructors and one of the things we teach in the course is you know how do you paint that picture of yourself as a hunter that's yeah. that's and you know as paramount next to you know your firearm safety is is painting that good light and being yeah. ethical and but the thing is is those hunter safety courses only reach people that are already interested in hunting or their parents are already interested in it and so they've put their children in it or it's people who are later in life that are interested in it that's their first step so it's good to get those hunters and that's how we're kind of self-regulating but you know without you know material like like your book that wild country you know we're not you know painting that light for everyone we're just doing it in in house yeah and so yeah and i, I think agree. that's yeah, I think that's something that as a hunting community, and, and I can, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here too, is that we can all do a little bit better about reaching out outside of our community. It's pretty easy to get a little bit insular. It's pretty mm-hmm. easy to surround ourselves with a bunch of other guys and girls that like to hunt. And our Facebook news feed is full of other folks that like to hunt. And all our Instagram followers, a bunch of guys and girls that like to hunt. We go hang out with our hunting and fishing buddies. And, and increasingly, we don't put ourselves in situations where we get to talk to people that are different than us and um or even us in the hunting media um you know i think it would do us all good to step outside of our little circles sometimes and be welcoming to people that are different and and share these stories people that are different in a way that can be relatable and, and, and kind of just give that I don't know, reach a hand out to other folks i think would would serve us all well not just as a hunting community but also for the future of of the outdoors and, and wild animals and wild places. Um, we need advocates. We need partners in protecting these things and places. And, um, and we got to We need to grow the family. I agree. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, I want to get Sam to, to touch on a little bit, kind of how we, how we try to bridge that same gap here at the, 
the land trust. So land trusts, you know, they're they're different everywhere you go, and ours is unique in that it is pretty much fully staffed by folks who enjoy consumptive use activities, hunting, fishing, that kind of thing. And I think that kind of makes us an anomaly in it, some ways. Yeah, we're we're different in that aspect a lot of times compared to you know very many of our similar organizations. But um, one of the things about it that we recognize, just like you've recognized in your book, is you know the importance of everyone having that same seat at the table and so sam you know sam and and the others here in the office have have worked very diligently to create programs and activities that that get the message out to that wider demographic and and sam you know just touch on it a little bit yeah um, i mean way, i think that way marks up the speed yeah i think we kind of touched on it before but as a land trust that is staffed by hunters in a lot of ways, um, which makes us unique. Um, that's what we and our staff, a lot of us, grew up doing. But we also realize the importance of we got to touch everybody. Every, the conservation of, of um, uh, or the umbrella of conservation really is is wide, and you've got all these different like these polarizing groups that may not even like the other group that all fall under the the unifying force of wanting to protect um, protect land and wildlife habitat and critical watersheds and the things that we all enjoy. So um, we do those paddle trips. We do a four-day backpacking trip. We do a little something for every photography contest, you know, just a little something for everybody that we, uh, that we really try to do. And then one thing that I wanted to bring up to you, um, which is – I'm, I'm going to throw something out there. I'm going to throw something against the wall, and I'm going to see if I can get you hooked. But we run a, uh, a program that's one of its kind, um, and it's something that we're really proud of. When I started, actually, Cody's, Cody's wife is my boss. Um, and when she came on, she worked at Fish, Wildlife, and Parks in Montana. Are you, are you familiar with the block management program in Montana, yeah. Mark? Yep, so I am. My wife... Um, she was the uh, District 6 hunting access coordinator. So she coordinated about a, about 2 million acres of block management there um, in District 6. And I actually worked there as well. But yeah. anyways. So when we, so when, when I came on, what we did, Mikey was new here as well, and we decided that we wanted to open up lands that we owned um, and conserved for people to use, for people to be able to hunt on. So we created a, bo- a block management program of our own that's a lottery draw for people to, one, support local conservation, which you already talked about the importance of supporting local conservation because the dollars spent here go back into your own backyard. So you can, you know, I support, Cody supports Ducks Unlimited, NWTF, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, you know, nationwide organizations. But you really see the benefit of your conservation dollars when you give local because you can see exactly where it's going. You're like, oh, that's right around the corner for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so with this program, people support local conservation. We're a nonprofit. All that money goes to the conservation work that we do. But then you get lottery draw hunts, um, lottery draws to be able to access blocks of land that we own and manage that Cody manages and now I'll be managing with Cody. Um, to hunt on and to be able to recreate on, put your boots on a piece of ground that's conserved and see, oh, this is what it's all about. So um, when I started, this program had zero members. And in two and a half years, we got over 200 members from 13 states that apply to come in and hunt this land, support local conservation here in the central Piedmont of North Carolina, and get a benefit from it as well. Um, so I think one thing that people here in the in the Southeast Sea, and, and somewhat, I, I guess it's easy to get frustrated with, is we talked about beforehand um, the Alcoa Lands Project that we're working on. This is a 4,700-acre tract, which to somebody out west, that may sound like nothing, you know? And you see a lot of these um, public land advocates are from the, from the west and hunting massive swaths of land. And, and rightfully so, and rightfully that's where so. the public land is for, sure, for the most part. For sure, yeah. but you got a lot of people like Cody and myself who hunt around here and that 4,700 acres is, is critical to us. It's 8% of our public lands in the central Piedmont. Um, and I would, I guess my, my push would be I'd love to see somebody like yourself who's a big public lands advocate come out, whether it be hunting on public land here or um, joining the sports and access program and hunting here in the central Piedmont, some whitetails around here, 
and seeing uh, seeing you guys run with it because I feel like we'd love to see the the national light and conservation light shown on us here. Well, I tell you what, I don't want is for you to name spots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll keep I'll keep everything uh, on the DL. But you're right. I, I I would love to get down that neck of the woods and, and spend some time. And I've been try one of the things I've been trying to do, kind of on the specifically deer hunting side, is just try to widen the my horizons as far as the different places I've seen and hunted and experienced because there's in the deer hunting world it's it's it can be at least very um midwest focused there's tons of these tv show hosts all have got their big farms in iowa or illinois or wherever and then a lot of the media and information that comes out magazines books wherever it's all kind of focused on that stuff too and so one of the things i've been trying to do is is force myself out of my comfort zone and go experience different things not just location but then also types of hunting too so Right. Locally, I do a whole lot of agriculture, land, Midwest deer hunting, but I've tried to now go and hunt some places out west in a very different kind of open country, whitetail setting on public land. And then this year I did a big Northwoods backcountry whitetail hunt in Minnesota. Next year I wanted, I'm planning on going off up to the northeast and doing a, a tracking hunt where I'm out there in the snow tracking a deer down by foot try that kind of hunt in that kind of place uh, but the one place i haven't hit yet which i need to or region at least is the southeast um so you're right i need to get down there experience that um share that put the spotlight on those types of places so well i've already I've got, got it penciled on my to-do list i got it planned in for you man you just join the sportsman access program get you a lottery draw and then you'll have 200 acres. So Sam's already bought your motel room. Is what he, what he <laughs> you got it. You got it locked in, man. I know we all we all do. We all put in for these lottery hunts. Cody and I do it here in North Carolina, and um, it's fun. You know, the whole lottery experience is is just a ball. To, you know, when you get that draw, it feels like Christmas. And um, you know, this would be a great opportunity for somebody. It, that's I think that's the reason it's become so popular for out of state folks. Like we've got those 13 people out of states because. You can put in for those state draws, and you got to deal with bonus points and stuff like that, or preference points, and they're hard to get. And with this program, it's new, you know, so we've still got – we're well within our carrying capacity of the amount of people that we can have in this program and we can manage and all that stuff. And the draws are fairly easy to come by, and it's that's one thing that we really tried to do. The, the model to join this program is it's $100 for four draw entries and then $300 for seven draw entries. Um so it's not linear, basically, because we wanted anybody that could support conservation that even at $100 could get a fair crack at getting these draws and getting a chance to experience the, the thing. And for a lottery draw hunt, to be able to support conservation and be philanthropic, but also to get that hunt, so, you know, it's a small price to pay. Um, and right now, the draw rate's been 100%. Anybody that's ever bought in has gotten it. So um, something we're proud of, and it's a way that QDMA did an article about the program um, this year and said if more local land trusts followed this model to engage hunters, that the landscape of conservation across the country would be um, benefited greatly. So that's something we're super proud of and being innovators in, in that. And um, I thought I'd just, hey, you got you got an invite, man, <laughs> anytime. That's awesome. That sounds like a really incredible program, and I'm definitely going to uh, have to scope that out. It sounds right up my alley. Yeah. You yeah, know we, 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 thought, we thought of you on that deal for sure um man we have uh we've covered a bunch of stuff uh i guess where do we go from here is the good question sam would uh mark you got anything that we haven't touched there's one thing i want to talk about but i'm, I'm saving it i've been saving it up till the end because i think it's so funny i'm not going to spoil your book but it, it, it's so funny that i'm gonna i gotta ask you about it in a little bit but is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't i know i've sam and i've kind of been like steering this thing but here's a good opportunity for you to like say anything you want to you know whatever you want to say about the book or you know just whatever this is this is you know floor is yours yeah well i really appreciate you guys having me on and, and chatting about the book and for you guys reading it yourselves um man that's a huge honor just for anyone to take some of their time which is so fleeting these days we're getting our attention pulled in 10 million ways every minute um so take the time to to read something that i worked on that means a lot so thank you for that um i think otherwise we really touched on 
the most important themes in my mind. Those those big goals that I mentioned, those overlying ideas that I hope would come across, uh, we've discussed. So I think that's great. Um, I would just encourage folks to, you know, I'll come around and say I would love it if you picked up a copy of the book, purchased That Wild Country. It's available on Amazon and many other places books are available now. There's the hardcover copy you can get, or there's also the audiobook version, uh, which I narrated, as I talked about earlier. And, you know, we dive into the history of how we, like you guys said, we talked about the history of public land, we talked about the history of conservation, um, a little bit about some current controversies around it that were the impetus for me diving into this project in the first place, and then a little bit of my thoughts on what we need to be thinking about moving forward. And this was the product of years of work, a lot of late nights and early mornings, and uh, self-doubt, wondering if it was ever going to come together. <clears throat> but uh, it's here, and I'm, I'm really proud of it, and uh, hope other folks enjoy it too. Yeah, I think I definitely think we're going to be recommending it to folks. Um, I mean, hell, I'll come out and say it right here. We're recommending it on the podcast. It's, it's a phenomenal book and a great introduction into the world of, of conservation from a historical standpoint all the way up through modern day. Um, it'll get you versed on, you know, things you're hearing about in the media in a way that is entertaining. And so, yeah, I think I think folks should should definitely check it out. And uh, I was uh, ecstatic to get a copy of it and read it. I knew you were coming out with this book, gosh, a good long while before before I ever had any idea that we were going to be talking to you today and have a copy of the book sitting on my desk. Like, so I was I was already looking forward to it. Um, we, uh, you know, land trusts like ours, we've really benefited from from groups and you know the brands that you're associated with and that type of thing in getting interaction with folks who are interested in conservation we've we've been able to benefit from that in a way folks are interested in giving dollars because you know guys like yourself are promoting that and saying you know this is important and people people tend to listen i mean for whatever reason whether it's because they you know they admire you as a as a personality or you know they just admire your ethic Either way, it has certainly benefited us in, in getting a, a new demographic of folks. It's not just the, uh, you know, the old guy with a bunch of money that's like, yeah, I, I want to see this forest protected forever, and I don't want to see a Walmart here. Now it's the, it's the college kid who, you know, finds out that conservation is a big deal. Wants to um, get wants to get meat sustainably. Wants to, you know, in a in a landscape where everything's really urbanized. I think people are craving that you know, stories like yours of their own where they can get out yeah. and experience something that's um, that's wild and kind of get away from what's commonplace now, which seems to be more and more urbanization and um, yeah. suburbia and stuff like that. So um, we're going to go ahead and get close to shutting it down, One but I want I, Cody, yeah, I want I Cody to talk up. about it. We've been, we already talked about this, and we were laughing about it Man, earlier today. And I'm gonna go, you're going to know exactly what I'm going to say as soon as I tell you this. I carry a tube <laughs> of chapstick in my pocket at all times. <laughs> okay yeah. so uh, am i allowed to can i give this out without spooling the book or you want people to just go buy it and figure it out for yourself because i'll do it either yeah, way you can you can you can mention it okay it me. <laughs> <laughs> dude so when you were getting wind chapped and it was hot and dry and your and your buddy andy said yeah i've got some chapstick and you described him as the the un, unorganized type who's who's not necessarily always prepared for anything and got extras of stuff to share. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you were, you were taken aback that he had an extra tube of chapstick. He's like, Oh yeah, I always carry two tubes. And you, you thought that was phenomenally great for you. He passed you a tube and, <laughs> and you were kind of wondering, you know, well, why do you carry two tubes of chapstick? And he said, what does he how, put it in your words? How does he say it exactly? He said, uh, just, just man, what something is he along the lines of, uh, I keep one tube to make sure my lips stay moist and the other to keep my butt from chasing. <laughs> I laughed. I, I had to stop, man. I, I swear I was eating popcorn and reading the book and I almost choked. I was, I was like, I, I, I know that strategy and, uh, that's you're, hilarious. You're a Vaseline man, aren't you? I, yeah. Oh yeah. Vaseline's key. But, uh, uh, I hope yeah. he gave you a fresh new tube. Yeah. <laughs> He's, uh, my buddy Andy's a real character, so he's out 
you just never know what you can get. <laughs> so that was a, we got a good laugh out of that one. Yeah, well, so did I, man. I appreciated you sharing it in the book. It was, <laughs> yeah. a, it was a hoot. But to reiterate, the book is uh, this is Mark Kenyon's book, and it's it came out what two days ago for uh, purchase? Officially on December first. Yeah. Yep. And it's called That Wild Country. Um, so yeah, go check the book out. Listen to the podcast. Look up Mark. Um, and listen to some of his yeah, stuff. Yeah, go see, go listen to Wired to Hunt if you like White. Yeah, Mark's Hunt. Mark's not hard to find. He's um, not. Yeah, he's he's out there for for uh, for we and find. we didn't we barely touched on it, but I will say this: um, Cody being the lands manager for for our fee owned properties, and um, one thing that we've and going back to the self deprecating thing, you you have a series called the Back Forty that is a YouTube series where y'all bought a property. And y'all are managing it. You're managing it uh, for deer, but you kind of go through this whole process where is the right thing to do managing it for big bucks or is it for native wildlife? And if you get those small game into your property, is that is that going to bring in the big bucks? And I think one thing we've really enjoyed is just you, you know, not like you, just like your book. You're not saying you're some sort of superhero expert. You're new to this, but you're trying to learn. You're having experts come in, and I think it's a really good. Um, example of just you know the the regular things that people face when trying to manage their property and trying to do it the right way and um, for somebody even in our field we've really enjoyed watching it so that might be one that we'd recommend as well go watch that YouTube series and yeah it's it's um, fun to watch I it's fun enjoy to watch. it it's uh, it puts a good light on private lands conservation and helps get folks thinking about their own properties yeah, um, yeah which yeah. I I like a whole lot well thanks guys I appreciate that I'm glad you're enjoying that that is. That is this really important stuff too, and this other side of the coin when it comes to protecting open space and wild places and all that is yes, public lands matter a whole lot, but so do private lands. And and so with this project, we we tried to talk about that other that other half. And like you said, we're trying to manage this property. Emphasis on trying to manage this property for great hunting, but also you know biodiversity and all these other. Uh, aspects of the environment there in this little 64-acre chunk. And, yeah, it's been a huge learning experience for me. Um, very hands-on, a lot of fun, also some, some struggles along the way. But um, but I think, you know, over the course of the, the rest of this project, I'm going to come away with it with um, a lot of personal growth and hopefully able to share that story with folks that both informs and entertains and, and gets people you know, intrigued to, to try some of these things or learn about some of these things in their own lives. And, um, and that'd be pretty cool if it works out that way. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's, I think it's a phenomenal project. Yeah. Um, that said, you got any final thoughts, final words, other than go, go check out the book, check out, uh, everything you're doing. Yeah, nope. That, that will cover it. Thank you again for having me on and, and chatting about all these things. It's a lot of fun. Man, we, we thank you so much for reaching out and, uh, and coming on the show, taking the time. Yep, go get the book. Yep, That Wild Country. If you're like us, you're riding down the road listening to the podcast on your commute. When you get to where you're going, don't forget, like us on Facebook. Check us out at our website, threeriverslandtrust.org. There you can find out about all the events we're putting on, all the conservation work we're doing, how you can get involved, and how you can help. We'd love to meet like-minded individuals and get you involved in conservation. Till next time.